was asked 189, he only answered three. Maybe life is found in the questions of Jesus. And maybe there's more about them than we realize. That's what we're doing together as we gather. Uh, let me ask you a question as I start. My name's Gary, been on staff here uh, for a number of years and one of the pastors. Um, here's my question. Have you ever been labeled? Ever been labeled? Uh, come back with me in 1987, my first job out of college. It was for my father. He had a small company in the East Bay based out of Oakland, and it was a poultry company. We had uh, poultry farms way up there burned now, way up in Windsor. Uh, we had um, a poultry distribution house in Oakland with huge uh, refrigeration units and freezers, and then brokered poultry all over the place. And I was working uh, Monday at 5 a.m. in Oakland pulling chickens off a truck and then my manager came up to me and said you got to put an order together and so I put an order together completely messed it up and I gave it to the customer and he's checking the order he's like this isn't right and he calls the manager over who's frustrated and he turns to me in front of the customer and says this you're worthless Gadini you're worthless I don't know why that one stuck so much but it did it stuck for decades. And at times I would be doing just menial yard work around the house and not able to do just a basic contracting job around our house. And what would go through my mind was Rick, my manager's voice, you're worthless. Labels are tough, aren't they? Uh, on a positive note, they can be incredibly empowering. I love that video of Josh Ship. And I don't know if you caught that line from his foster father who said, Josh, we don't see a problem. We see an opportunity. That's incredible. In Psychology Today in 2010, they wrote an article, Why It's Dangerous to Label People. And the bent of the article was not what it does to people, but what it does for you who labels and in it, they said researchers began a study of the cognitive effects of labeling, and they proposed what's called the linguistic relativity hypothesis. It states the words we use describe what we see aren't idle placeholders. They actually determine what we see. The words we use, they said, frame our reality. That leans right into our passage today. It's an incredible passage. Do you see this woman? An incredible timely question to ask. You need to know, six months ago we put this whole series together, not knowing that three weeks ago a social media phenomenon would, would break all over the world called the hashtag MeToo movement. In the last three weeks, hundreds of thousands of women are rising up saying we've been looked at We've been objectified, we've been harassed, we've been abused, but we've never been seen. And so today, as we walk through this passage, please, let's not look at it, let's see the passage. And as followers of Christ, I want to say we have the power within us to label from heaven's labels. And it, I'm telling you right now, it could change this city. It's the mission of Jesus, really. It could change your home. It can change your neighborhood. This will change your parenting. This will change your legacy. This will change the quality of your marriage if you're married or the quality of your friendships if you're not. What we're talking about today is incredible. And here's the good news, everybody. 
You don't have to earn it. God will give you the vision to see into people. That's called grace, and it's what gets me up every morning. So Luke chapter 7, thank you for the amen. Open your Bible, so Luke, everybody, Luke chapter 7, page 1035. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible. Turn on your Bibles. We have the U version on our Bibles if you go online. I'm going to read through the text, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to question the text. I want you to ask, uh, what do I see? What do I observe? And we even have a text box on page one. What do I realize? And then I'm going to invite us to share that with each other out loud, okay? So I'm going to read it one more time. We love God's word here, so we just read it over and over again, okay? So let me read it, and then I'm going to give you silence to reflect. And you can reflect while I'm reading it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, that's the Bible way of saying she was a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and that day there'd be in the homes of the Pharisees, an open courtyard, a small table about this high, about 18 inches, maybe two feet high, and the guests would recline on one elbow and their legs would be out in the square table so their feet were outside the table. And they'd eat with one hand while they were reclining and talking. And this was kind of in its day uh, a celebrity coming to a village. So the courtyard was open and tons of religious people would come for the dinner and this woman crashed it. So while he, uh, she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured out perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, to himself, this is an act of cowardice right here. He doesn't have the courage to speak to Jesus. So he says it internally. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. And here comes his label. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. That's about a year and a half's worth of wages. So you do the math. The other owed him 50, a couple months. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave all the debts of both. Imagine you're late on a mortgage payment. And Wells Fargo sends you a letter, never a good sign, a personal letter. And they don't say you're late. They say, we've decided to pay off your mortgage altogether. Would that be a good day for anybody? Okay, so this is what Jesus is getting at here. He forgave the debts. Now, which of him will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. That's one of my favorite lines in this passage. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Now the guests turn to Jesus and label him. The other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Take a minute and make observations. What do you see? What do you realize? What questions do you have? I'll give you a minute. Go. And then we'll share it together. Would anyone be so brave to share what they see, an observation or a question? Who wants to go first? Let's take a couple. All her sins were forgiven, not just one. Thanks, Chris. Someone else? Yeah. That is so beautiful. He said, when I look at someone through human filters and judgments, uh, I, am, uh, I am judging them through human eyes. When I look at them through God's eyes, I'm accepting them. Well, mine is similar. Let's just close in prayer. That's it right there. Thank you. Both of you. Yeah. Say here just a little louder so everyone. She had deep remorse and great shame, and Jesus forgave her for that. That, that deserves an amen, right? That's the good news, everybody. Last one. Simon did not see Jesus as the Messiah who pointed it out to the Pharisees right. that you didn't see who I was. Mm, that's really good. I haven't heard that. I, I even realized that Simon didn't see who Jesus was. It's the woman who pointed out to all this religious elite, this is the Messiah. I love that. Let's go a little slower. Imagine if this were a movie and it has, it really, the passage breaks down into three distinct scenes. Turn to page two and let's just walk through a little slowly. I see such good news in here and have such hope of God's grace here. It's so good. Here's the first scene, the Pharisee and the prostitute. The Pharisee and the prostitute. The first scene just focuses on those two. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, verse 36, to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. These Pharisees, that literally Pharisee means separated ones. They were about 7,000 strong, and it was their job to shepherd the 2 million Jews living in an occupied country called Israel. Uh, they were the religious elite, the holiest of the holy of the city. They were respected, they were admired by the people, they were feared by the people, but their theology was off. They really believed that uh, to associate with an unholy person would make them compromised, compromised. Uh, any germaphobes in the room? Come on, you can admit it. Anyone sitting next to a germaphobe? Uh, can you, does anyone know the most germ-filled uh, thing in your home? Do you know what it is? Cell phone? No. It's not the toilet seat. It's, it is a dish towel. A dish towel. Actually, most kitchen towels on average, 89% used to clean the counters, are contaminated with coliform bacteria, which is the worst bacteria out there. This isn't a dish towel. You know what this is? This is my workout towel from the morning. And I sweat like a pig, Okay. <laughs> And I just brought it to, you know, share with you. Anyone want to? It's still wet, actually, with my sweat. Do you, 
When that Pharisee saw that woman, this is what he saw. And that visceral reaction you had about me throwing us, it's wet, it's stinky, it's sweaty, towel at you, was exactly what went inside that Pharisee's mind, heart. His reaction was that same that you were about to have. Don't shake hands with me after the service. See, he didn't look into her, he looked at her. We all have this worthiness scale, don't we? The way we look at people, who's worthy of being looked at? and really seen, and who's not worthy of that. That's how the Pharisee felt about this woman. By the way, Jesus was labeled by these people as well. If you're in your Bibles, two verses up, Luke 7, verse 34, you can see the labels they put on Jesus. Friend of sinners, glutton, drunkard, all of that. So verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, she was a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. This was one of the tools of the trade for the prostitutes. She would wear it around her neck, and it was her brand, if you will. It was uh, what made her smell good and what enticed people into the experience, if I can be so crass. Okay, and then she stands behind Jesus, behind his feet weeping, and begins to wet, literally, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in a different language, and in that original language, it means she rained down. So this isn't just a tear coming off her eyes, something was going on that was so deep, she rained out tears. She wet his feet with her tears, and an ancient church father called that her heart water came out. And then she wiped him with her hair. She's almost embarrassed, and Jesus didn't get, you noted this, didn't get the ceremonial greeting. And so she's wetting him with her feet, and she's going, oh my gosh. And she undoes her hair, which the Pharisees said, uh, you could, if you were a wife, you never let your hair down. You would be divorced if you let your hair down. And she is just wiping his feet. It is an act, beautiful act of unbridled worship before Jesus. She didn't care who was in the room. It was her and Jesus. She was a great sinner. He was a better savior and he forgave her. That's good news. And so she just didn't care. We're going to have a response today. And can I just invite you to follow the model of this amazing woman and not care as we call you to a response over there? I know of so much in, in my life for a number of reasons. I care what others think. Stop. Learn from this woman. She just let herself go in front of him. And she poured her perfume. She takes the tool of her trade, the mark of her sinfulness, the very thing that branded her as an outcast in her culture, and repurposes it for God's glory in an act of worship. Incredible. Let's go to the second scene, the Pharisee and Jesus. Someone didn't like this. A lot of people didn't like this. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. And then he gets out his label and slaps it on her. She's a sinner. Simon's problem is really easy to see. He thought he was better than the prostitute. Let's just look at this for a minute. Simon said, she's a sinner. And you've read the story twice. I'll give you the end of the story. Jesus will say to Simon, hey, 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 Simon, you're using the wrong tense. Jesus is about to say, Simon, your problem is you see what she was 
and you label her for who she is. I see who she is, and I forgive what she was. Oh my gosh. How many of you would love to be labeled by your worst sin? Yet we do it all the time in the church. Simon saw what she was and says, that's who you are. Jesus saw who she could be and says, that's not who you were. I forgive what you were. That's our mission, men and women, to go around this church and see people through God's eyes. And the good news is my application is not buck up or get better or come on, you got to do this. Because God will give you the grace we'll see in a minute to see with his eyes. We, none of us in this room, have the ability to do this. None of us. But God will give us what we need so that we can. So we can see people and quit looking at people and labeling them. So Jesus goes into his parable. Let's go to the third scene. The third scene. Jesus and the prostitute. Now he turns toward the woman. And can you just stop there and just look at, just put yourself in the scene, the nonverbal language. Remember, he's reclining. He must have, I just picture him like pushing away from the table and turning. And now it's just him and her. He's dignifying her. Everyone else in the room is looking at them, at her. I wonder how many of those men knew her. Used her. She would be the originator of the hashtag MeToo movement. But Jesus turned to her and he's about to say things to her that no man had ever said to her. And that's the beauty of Jesus. Whether you're a man or a woman, he speaks like no other person will ever speak to you. He loves like no other, no other human being will ever love you. He will touch you in a way that no one would ever, ever touch you. And it's the best news on this peninsula. And it's what drives our mission. And we get it wrong, and we screw it up, and we're sorry for that. But when it all comes back, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the grace we've received, and we blow it, and we gather every Sunday, and we go, okay, we made it. God's grace is bigger than our sin. And we start a new week together, and we encourage each other through that word. And then we go out to relabel every human being we ever lay eyes on. Is that you're not defined by your worst sin. In Jesus, you can be made new. There's so much behind that line. He turned toward the women. And maybe your application this week is turn to people. Just stop and turn to people. See them. And he said, Simon, do you see this woman? Okay, we got to do a little work here. Are you ready to work? Circle the word see in that verse. Go up to verse 39. See where it says the Simon the Pharisee saw the woman in verse 39? I think it's verse 39. Yeah, verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this. Again, I told you the Bible wasn't written in English. In the original language, there are two different words for see. Jesus' word in verse 44, do you see this woman? It literally means to have power to perceive, to look into. Verse 39, the word used for see means to look at. 
on the surface. What we're seeing here, I believe God through the author Luke is showing us, hey, followers of Jesus, you can see differently than the whole world. Jesus can actually give you the vision that you can never earn on your own or work out on your own. You can see things differently for the asking. Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 2, he'd take this vision and say, I'm so crazy, I can't look at humans anymore from a worldly point of view. It's in there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't see them by their, by their wealth or by their blowits or by what they wear or what they drive or how souped up their camel is or whatever Paul would say. I see if anyone is in Christ, they can be a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Simon, do you see this woman? He looked at her, Simon. He was well aware of her reputation. He labeled her, but what he saw was clouded by his self-righteous heart. And here's the secret to vision. Are you ready for it? Come on, are you ready for it? Yeah, that baby's ready for it. You don't see with your eyes. You see with your heart. That's what Psychology Today was saying in that article. That what you see and the labels you use indicate what's in your heart. What Jesus is getting at is this, with that one question, do you see this woman? He's saying, Simon, how could you not see her? How could you label her? This indicates your cold, dark heart. I'm not judging. Harvey Weinstein doesn't have an eye problem. He has a heart problem. And while he's looked at and used and harassed and abused tons of women, he doesn't see them the way God does. Simon had a heart problem. I have a heart problem. And thank God, God gave me a new heart. It is in the process of helping me change the way I see all people over time. And that's a gift. That's a grace. See, Simon, Simon saw a problem. Jesus saw an opportunity. Simon saw a dirty dish towel. You know what Jesus saw? One freshly manufactured and clean and without stain. Two hearts are exposed. Now, let me ask this question with grace. What do the labels you use expose about your heart? Don't condemn yourself if you're in Christ. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus came up on a hill, looked at people, and it says he just broke down weeping. And it says when he, 936 Matthew, when he saw the multitude, and it goes right to his heart, his heart was filled with compassion. He saw with his heart, so do we. So do we. So important, my, my friends. And the good news is, we can all have a restored heart. A restored heart. And then he says in verse 44, I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, and she poured perfume on my feet. That was the standard greeting for a guest when you would honor them. You'd wash their feet because they walked in sandals and dirt and other stuff. 
You'd embrace them because you were saying, welcome to my home. And then you'd pour olive oil on their head as a, a detergent, kind of to clean and to make you smell nice. Jesus got none of that. He walked into a hostile environment. And this woman identifies him as a man of honor, the thing that the religious elite didn't do. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. I want to be really clear here. She wasn't forgiven because of her great love. You don't earn forgiveness. She was forgiven as an expression, as a follow-up to the fact that her heart was new and she understood the love of God. Really important there. The other guests began to say among themselves, oh, then he, Jesus said to her, this is so cool, now it's just Jesus and her. Your sins are forgiven. I love it. It's like Jesus rips off the label. Let me take that sinner. Ugh. And he puts his favorite label. Can you imagine what God's favorite label is? I think it's this one. Forgiven. Forgiven. That's what we're called to do as a church. Relabel people in Jesus' name. Invite them into this good news that's so better than you have to earn God's love and earn God's favor. And get better, then God will love you. No, we can't get better. God loves you. He offers this forgiveness for everybody. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, the other guests didn't like this. They began to say among themselves, who is this who for, even forgives sins? And Jesus says to the woman, and I, I wonder implied in this is, don't worry about them. I'll deal with them in Matthew 23. I've got some choice words for those people. You are forgiven. Go in, what's the word? The life you have when you know you and God are good. When you know you don't have to earn God's love. When you know God never has a bad day towards you. That because of the gift of salvation, you live in what we call around here a no condemnation status. Never condemned by God. Never punished by God. Disciplined, but that's because God loves you. You walk in peace. Friends, Jesus wants us to see, I, I gotta stop touching that. Jesus wants us to see people the way he does. Here, page three, real fast, we gotta land this plane. The truth behind labels. This is so important and drives our ministry. You will never look at a person for whom these four factors aren't true. Renew your mind with these, okay? One, Every person you lay eyes on is an image bearer of God. They bear his image and they deserve rights based on that. Every person you look at, that image has been broken through sin. Every person. That's why we have the headlines we have and the pain we have in our world. But every person you look at is loved by God. Our brokenness doesn't make God love us any less. As a matter of fact, God ran to our brokenness as opposed to being repulsed by it. And then this fourth factor is true, and this woman discovered it. Every human being is a candidate for forgiveness. This woman knew what those religious guys didn't. I can come to Jesus and get my brokenness healed. I don't have to earn it. I want to tell you that drives who we are. It's so important to who we are. And so we invite you uh, throughout this week to be praying praying this prayer. God, forgive me for my blindness. Change my heart. Grant me the strength to see you like you see them. What would happen if every day before every appointment you paused and prayed that prayer? I, I don't know, but I'm going to find out and I invite you to find out too.
So as we wrap this up, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to identify yourself in the story. Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the Pharisee? You have a self-righteous heart that slaps labels on people. Maybe you see yourself like the other men in the room, regardless of your gender. Your silence or your murmuring affirms the self-righteous heart of the Pharisee. Uh, I think it was two days ago, Quentin Tarantino, anyone know that name? Director, uh, colleague of Harvey Weinstein. He had this quote, he wrote an article and he said, you know what? I knew too much to remain silent about Harvey Weinstein and I remained silent and I'm so sorry for that. Maybe that's you, not in that whole sexual abuse area, but it could be, but maybe it's in the labeling. You just laugh at the jokes or you stay silent when a racial slur or an ethnic slur or some kind of slur is said. Or do you see yourself as this woman who's broken, who's been forgiven by Jesus, and so you run to him with your passion because you know he can give you what you can never earn by yourself and only Jesus can put the label on you that no other human can. And that label will change your life. Let's pray. Father, regardless of where we see ourselves, we give ourselves to you and I thank you that you love the Pharisee that you love the silent men in that room. You love Harvey Weinstein. You love me. Father, forgive our self-righteousness. Forgive our silence. Give us the passion and the heart that this woman had who doesn't care about social norms, doesn't care. All they care about is the fact that we've been forgiven. We're great sinners and you're a great savior. Give us that heart to worship and serve. And God, use us. Would you join me in praying this silently? Use us to relabel this city. To relabel our kids. To relabel our spouse. To relabel our enemy. God, I'm not asking for natural things. We need your touch. But you promised to give us that in grace. And we're banking on it in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.